0: What does it mean to have enough? What does it mean to not have enough? And what does it mean to have too much? Those are big questions for us. We live in a world, of course, where many go without the basic necessities of life while others with billions to their name can fly into space recreationally. We live in a world where our collective appetite for fossil fuels is upending the climate around us, and yet we as a species cannot seem to curb it. And we live in a world and in a society where, often, everything can seem like a ruthless competition to not get left behind. It can be like that to try to afford a home. It can be like that to try to get into a good school. It can be like that in athletics and other activities that people do. But sometimes, in our world, life can seem like a race to have enough and to be enough, where there's not enough to go around. And so there are messages, both spoken and unspoken, that we are not enough unless we're the best, the smartest, the strongest, the richest, the highest achieving. And of course, only a few people can be those things, and if you happen to be one of them, then there's the crushing pressure to stay there, to not get displaced, to do more and achieve more. What does it mean to have enough? What does it mean to be enough? Recently, we have seen some athletes make a countercultural choice to say, enough. We've seen athletes like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka make a choice to prioritize their well-being, their physical and mental safety, over one more competition, to choose to step away from the endless treadmill, if only for a moment, and prioritize the fact of being a full human being, who is more than the relentless quest for another medal, Another prize beyond all those that have already been won. And those choices, on the one hand, are very reasonable. And on the other hand, they can feel countercultural because they challenge our quest for more. And they say, Enough, at least for now, enough. These amazing young athletes are pointing at something that many of us need. And of course, these athletes are champions. They have already proven everything they need to prove. They've reached pinnacles of achievement that most of us will never experience. But also, of course, there are billions of people all over the world for whom life is a treadmill that can't be stepped off of, because just meeting basic needs every day is a struggle. I recently read about a pastor from Angola who was speaking with an American pastor. And the American pastor asked, what are the biggest pastoral needs for members of your congregation? The American pastor came from a world where pastoral needs meant things like illness and marital difficulties and vocational crises, which matter. And the Angolan pastor said, well, our biggest pastoral care needs are having enough food and avoiding the people who want to kill us for being Christian. And, of course, those needs are not unique to Angola. Here in the US, too, there are plenty of people who struggle to have enough food. And there are people who are in danger for who they are, for their religion, for their race, for their gender or orientation. So we have a world that is tough. We have a world where getting enough and having enough is not guaranteed, where some people are on treadmills just to survive, and others are on treadmills to achieve, to be enough. We need some rest. And we don't need a kind of boutique rest for just a few. We don't need the kind of rest that comes from marketing expensive products using the language of self-care to just a few people who can afford it. We need real rest, which is for everyone. We need to have enough, and we need to be enough. You might say we need plenty. A good word, plenty, which means not plenty for a few while others starve, but plenty for everybody. Or you might say that what we need is nourishment that satisfies our longings, rather than feeds our cravings. What does it mean to have enough and to be enough? God's people were in the desert. Back in Egypt, they had been slaves. But at least they had daily rations, meager as they might have been. Now they were free, but they were fugitives. And they were starving. So they cried out to God. They cried out to God. And God fed them. A strange and heavenly food that appeared on the ground every morning like dew. And the first time they saw it, they said, What is it? Or, man? So they called it, call it? They called it mana, which means, what is it? And every day there was enough. Enough for the little ones who didn't eat all that much, and enough for the great big ones who were hungry. And our reading leaves out some of the verses, but it says that if anyone tried to hoard up more than they could eat, It went bad by the next day, and grew worms. Manna had a very short shelf life. And yet, somehow, there was an exception for the Sabbath. By God's provision on the day before the Sabbath, they gathered twice as much, and it didn't go bad. And on the next day, God and the people rested, and no manna fell, and they ate enough for the seventh day. Sometimes they had cravings. After all, this heavenly whatcha-ma-call-it could get bland. It could be the same day after day, and so they cried out for meat, for something different to eat. Once God got so fed up with the craving that God sent quails, waves upon waves of quails for the people to eat until the meat tasted foul in their mouths. But mostly, God fed their need, their longing, and they ate the manna. Everyone nourished, no one too much. And no, it wasn't fancy. It was traveling food. It was food for a journey, food for a while. It was meant to get them through the desert to the promised land, which would be a land of milk and honey, a land of grain and wine and oil. And God's people would get there and settled in safety, after a while, they would again confront the realities of inequality, of too much for some and not enough for others, of some who joined house to house and field upon field while others went without. But they would carry within them that memory of a people that was bound together in the wilderness by enough, being bound together by the provision of God. And then there was another meal in another wilderness. Last week, Deacon Pamela read the story of the multitude being fed, and she preached about the goodness of bread and about hunger and being fed. And Jesus took that bread and gave thanks to God and broke it and kept breaking it and kept breaking it and there was more and more And in that story, unlike the manna story, there were leftovers. 12 baskets full, the story says. Abundance. Sometimes God does go overboard. But this wasn't like the abundance of waste where some go hungry while others have too much. This was God's abundance where no one is left out and there's more on top of it. 12 baskets a number of completeness, the 12 tribes of Israel, a number that in and of itself means everybody. Jesus wants to feed our bellies. This, I believe, is true. Jesus cares with all his heart and mind and soul and strength about empty stomachs, about moms who skip a meal, so their kids can have enough. About neighborhoods where there is nowhere to buy fresh food. And about famines that are brought on, not by natural cycles, but by wars, or power struggles, or the neglect of bad governments. Jesus weeps for these things. He weeps when we fail to feed one another. And he fed the crowd in the wilderness. And he expects us the church, to keep feeding people. He expected of us who are the extension of his physical body in the world, the extension of those hands that took bread and broke it. It's part of our call. And we do it. We do some of that in this congregation every Sunday with our open table breakfast, which has carried on so bravely through the pandemic and now is back feeding people in person again. And we do it on the Russian River with our St. Andrew's food pantry. And we will keep doing it and keep trying to find ways to do more of it because feeding people is a sign of the reign of God. And on top of that, Jesus wants to feed not just our bellies, He wants to feed our whole selves. And He speaks of another kind of bread a bread that comes down from heaven and gives life. Not just this life, but life eternal. And he says that he is that bread. Not a bread that goes bad. Not a bread that lasts for just a day or two and leaves us hungry again. Not even miraculous bread from heaven. But Jesus, the living bread He is the answer to our longings. He's the healing for our cravings. And he points us to a different way, a way where there are no treadmills. There is a path, a path to follow him as a disciple. And it's a way where everyone both has enough and is enough. It's not an easy way. It's a desert way. It's a way that includes a cross. Yet it's also a path of joy and a path of life.